Karebuni. I am Warden Wilson Mutua, and I am happy to welcome you to Harambe Wildlife Reserve. I hope that your visit will give you new appreciation and respect for Africa's magnificent living treasures. Harambe Wildlife Reserve was created to meet the growing challenges that face our native wildlife here in Africa. Expanding human population is bringing with it a loss of natural habitat, threatening the very existence of our great creatures. Sadly, even the borders of Harambe cannot protect our animals from the most dangerous threat of all, poaching. To the poachers, these beautiful animals represent only profit. Rhino and elephant are slaughtered for their horns and ivory. Cheetahs and lions are killed for their coats. And antelope and gazelle are trapped in snares, their meat illegally sold. It is my job to protect all the animals of this reserve. That is why I ask you, all of you, to please join us in our battle against poaching. Kwa macho, kwa wajangili. Grow eyes for poaching. Only by working together can we maintain Harambe as a safe haven for all its animals. I was born here, and my whole life I was taught that what you see with your eyes, you value with your heart. It is my hope that what you see today, you will treasure in your heart. Welcome to Harambe Wildlife Reserve. Welcome to Detour to Neverland, your guide to living your best Disney life through your hobby or business. Here's your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 168. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are returning to our storytelling series, doing what attraction, Catherine? Kilimanjaro Safari. And this was my pick, and I'm super excited to share all of the research that we found. Yeah, so if you missed our first installment of this series, that was two episodes ago, and we did Peter Pan's Flight, which is probably my favorite classic attraction. So we're going to alternate each week. Catherine chose Kilimanjaro, and I'm excited to do this one. There is so much history and so many things that I didn't realize about this attraction. Yeah, I think I was initially inspired to pick Kilimanjaro Safari for a couple of reasons. First off, it's just one of my favorite attractions ever. I love everything about the Animal Kingdom. But um, I also got a lot of inspiration when we watched the Disney Plus series about, oh goodness, what was it called? The Imagineering Story. The Imagineering Story. They When they talked about Animal Kingdom, it kind of sparked my interest in just learning more about the park and about the attractions and that's kind of how we got here yeah so we're gonna 
do this in a couple of different sections. We're going to start talking about the history of this attraction and the storytelling, kind of what um, was the inspiration behind it. Then we'll do a scene breakdown, walk you through, and we can experience the attraction together. And then we'll talk about our personal history and at the very end, give it our Neverland score, which more or less is just how much it takes out of reality. Immersion exactly. score, but immersion is too much of a buzzword. So we're going to try out this other scale. All right. So starting with history, um, this attraction debuted on April 22nd in 1998, which is when the Animal Kingdom Park opened. So this ride was there when the park opened and it was really created to be like the main kind of e-ticket attraction, which makes sense, I think, because it was something very different than anything that they had ever done before. Um, but something that I really liked about this attraction when I was doing the research is that this idea was actually something that was always very near and dear to Walt's heart. He always wanted a ride with real animals. And the original ride that he wanted to have real animals was the Jungle Cruise. Can you imagine the Jungle Cruise with real animals? Would have been a much different experience. Yeah, it's kind of funny to think about, but that's what he wanted. And of course, he was talked out of that, the logistics, the size um, of the attraction, the unpredictability of the animals was just too much, which is why they had to go with animatron animatronic, Nick? Oh, God. Animatronics. Animatronic mix. <laughs> no, not, not mix. 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 They went with fake animals. <laughs> um, but when the Disney Imagineers were starting Animal Kingdom, this idea came to their mind and they realized that they finally had the opportunity and most importantly, the space to do the attraction and build it right. Brendan, can you guess who was responsible for this ride? Our main man. And? Our guy. <laughs> Joe Rohde. Yes, and that should come as no surprise. I think he's really responsible for all of Animal Kingdom. Is there anything in Animal Kingdom that he hasn't done? I think he's had his hand. He might not have been the lead Imagineer for all of it, but I think he's had his hand in a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, he was responsible for this ride. No surprise. And he kind of held on to Walt's idea um, and his vision for what he wanted the Jungle Cruise to be when he created this ride. And I really thought that that was sweet. Yeah, I remember seeing in the Imagineering story, and we're probably going to talk about this, the space that they had to carve out. But it is insane to see the before and after pictures. I mean, because it was a, it was just like a normal Florida field mm -hmm. right there, mm -hmm. which is just kind of hard to wrap your mind around. Yeah, I think I didn't write this part down. Um, but just in doing the research, they kind of had to build it in a couple different parts for parts. First, they had to bring in all the dirt. Then they had to go out and search for plants and they had to plant the plants in kind of two different phases when they would grow the best. And they had to pick things that were native to Florida, but they also got plants that were native to Africa as well, because they were trying to make something that looked very authentic. That was always the goal was to make something that looked authentic. And because they didn't want it to look man-made, they also had to be creative with the barriers to keep the animals 
in the spaces that they're supposed to be. And to me, just thinking of riding the ride, like in an evolution from being a kid to now an adult, this is kind of something that stands out because the animals are really free roaming. They aren't necessarily confined to areas, but of course they had to keep the predators like the cheetahs and the lions away from like the zebras because that would not be good. Um, when I was doing research, it talked about how all the different barriers that they use are hidden. And a lot of them are like water barriers or moats. And the one that I thought was the most interesting is the lion's barrier because they are pretty close when you're going around that little circle. But the lion's barrier is a big moat and it's 18 feet deep and it's 21 feet wide. Yeah, I, and I think a lot of them are forced perspectives as well. I remember in the Imagineering story, they talked about that the elephants look like they're really close to you, but they're actually very far apart. But the way that your eyes see the rocks from sitting up in the um, safari vehicle, it seems like it's only like a five foot gap between where their barrier is, but it's a much greater distance than that. So I think we'll talk about this with so many attractions, but sight lines, I think still true, but definitely in the 90s as they were building out and, and adding to Walt Disney World, sight lines were so important. So I'm glad that it carried over into this attraction. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. The other thing that I think is interesting about this attraction is the storyline, because that is a really big part of any of these Disney attractions, there's always that storytelling element that goes with it. And the story of this ride has actually changed since it started in 1998 to what you currently see today when you ride the ride. Um, when we look at Animal Kingdom, the entire theme of Animal Kingdom is conservation. And you can see that in all of the details and all the rides, even in Pandora, you know, they're talking about conservation and they were really careful to kind of include that and promote that and everything that they did. And the original story for Kilimanjaro Safari follows that idea of conservation as well. And I remember from being a kid, obviously, that the ride has changed. But when I started doing research, it really stood out to me how much it changed and kind of even what they originally planned for it was so much different than what the public actually saw. The original story that the Imagineers created was that the guests would be racing after poachers, trying to rescue a mother and a child elephant, Big Red, and then Little Red. And I remember Little Red, don't you? Yeah. Because Little Red, it was a fake an animatronic <laughs> elephant and i remember the ending you would see little red in the back of the vehicle and it was like a happy feel good like yay we found him the day is saved kind of thing but in the original plan it was very dark um it would have started a high speed chase and the last and it would be like the last part of the ride and at the end, instead of like the happy, yay, we found them, the original ending, you would pass a, a the corpse of 
big mama red elephant, basically. And pretty much what happened is just like they do today, they did like the cast preview and they asked the cast members at the end, what did you think? And they were all like, no, you cannot have a dead elephant at the end of this ride. Can you imagine? So in that scenario, was Little Red still safe? I believe. Yes, I believe it was kind of like a Bambi situation is the way that this ride ended. They killed the mom, but they I guess they still found the baby. But the last thing that you kind of saw before you got off the ride was a a poached mama elephant. um, And they portrayed her without her tusks to show that that's why, you know, she was killed. And it it fit with the conservation element. I think they were going for that wow factor. But ultimately, they decided that that ending was a little too intense, especially for kids. I mean, this ride is perfect for kids of any age. There's no height limit. There's no restrictions. Kids love animals. And they took it out. (laughs) Which is no surprise. Yeah. A little too much. But isn't that crazy that that's how it started? It is crazy. Just to imagine that. Because I remember as a kid, it was an intense ride. Mm -hmm. Like, especially... Like you could tell if you were riding with people that it was their first time, it was a kind of a high stress ride of where's Little Red. You know, Mm -hmm. you could hear the poachers over the radio. You could hear the uh, I guess the game warden or Mm -hmm. whatever it would be uh, over the radio. So it was um, quite a different experience than you get now. And it had the bridge that rocked. That was part of this original part, too. And of course, we I mentioned the change from 1998 to now. They decided in February of 2012 that they were going to get rid of the Little Red story. They got rid of the bridge that tilted, if you remember that. And they took out um, the fake Little Red. And they just decided that they wanted to focus on the real animals and promoting conservation Um, And protecting animals just from viewing the real ones instead of trying to put off this fake chase and story kind of thing. I kind of always forget about the previous story until you get to kind of that last portion where you can really get a good view of the elephants and you're going around the Flamingo Island as well. And they always talk about, oh, you can see the tusk marks in the clay Mm -hmm. from the elephants. You can tell they've been here eating and, and messing with the clay. And I remember that from the original story because they would pitch that as, oh, you can tell Big Red was here. They were here. Uh Like we're following them. We're so close behind them. Look at Big Red's tusk marks. Mm -hmm. Now they just say like, oh, elephants have been here. Mm -hmm. But it was much different. I just remember they would come over the radio and be like, Simba one, Simba one. Can you, you know, hear me? And, you know, they are panicked and everything. And I just remember that part the most. Overall, I mean, we can talk about it at the end, but. Are you glad they made the change? I'm not sure. Because that is that's the ride that I fell in love with as a kid with, you know, kind of the fake story behind it. But I do understand making the switch to just like the real animals, because I do think that's very impactful. I mean, ultimately, I think what Animal Kingdom is trying to do with this ride is have people make that connection with animals. And fall in love with the animals. And then hopefully that will contribute to them being more 
conscious about conservation efforts. That's what I'm curious about, because it's almost like, what is your end goal? Mm-hmm. Are you, If you're wanting people to take action, actually like chasing after poachers and being part of that and potentially seeing an implied death of Big Red would... I like you were fired up leaving that area. Like I'm going to go find poachers myself and put a stop to this. Now you get off and it's like, man, those were beautiful animals. I'm so glad that we got to see them, but it doesn't invoke as much action. It is definitely a more like warm, fuzzy kind of feeling, you know, just an excitement. And maybe that's the direction that, you know, they just wanted to take it because it is Disney world, but I definitely see what you're saying. Yeah. The next interesting thing that I found are just about the animals themselves. The animals are not actually found. Well, I'll back it up. The animals that are in the ride were not acquired from their natural habitat. They didn't just go to Africa and find a few elephants and giraffes and bring them to Florida. When they created the attraction, They did decide that they were going to go ahead and take animals that were already in captivity and bring them to Disney. And the animals that they got were either from zoos or it mentioned other reputable breeders. I'm not really sure what that means, but maybe like a sanctuary or something like that. mm -hmm. But that is where the animals came from. And so they were used to being in captivity already. The story that I thought was the funniest is that the lions came from. Oregon. They came from an Oregon zoo and they noticed when they first brought the lions to Florida that it was just too hot from them. The temperature difference was a lot and people could not see the lions because they were just hiding in the shade at all hours of the day. And the Imagineers had to problem solve. And the way that they did that was they created air conditioned rocks for the lions which is why if you ride the ride today, you can kind of always predict where you're going to see them. They really are always in pretty similar spots, but that's because that's where their conditioning is. I feel like if their African relatives came to see them sitting on air conditioning <laughs> rocks and acting like it was too hot because they were used to Oregon Pacific Northwest weather, they would get made fun of to no end. They probably would. Luckily, they're nice and safe. I don't think they're going to have to worry about any outside lions seeing them. But I just thought that was funny. It talks about how, um, of course, the Imagineers do lots of little things to kind of coax the animals out. You know, oftentimes we see them feeding the animals when we go on the ride. They put different treats in different little areas to kind of coax them more in like the sight line for people who are in the ride vehicles. And I thought this was just the funniest example. Yeah, that is funny. <laughs> um, but just some last little facts. Um, this ride is the longest ride. That's not like a movie or a show. It's about 22 minutes long. And of course, we've all been on the ride where different things happen. Like what's your favorite? A giraffic jam. And when those types of things happen, It can actually take longer because the ride vehicles actually have to stop. They can't just go around them. There's not like an alternate track or anything. You're kind of at the mercy of whatever the animals want to do. 
though 22 minutes is kind of like the average because if you rode the ride before, you've probably seen that different things happen and there is a pretty good chance that you'll be stopped by one of the animals. Yeah. The other interesting fact is that the Magic Kingdom is 107 acres and Kilimanjaro Safari is 110, which means the Magic Kingdom, the entire park, could actually fit into just this one attraction. I feel like so many cast members ask this as a trivia question now. They probably do. But that's so cool to think about because when you are on the ride, it's obviously big. And you know that Disney is going to do everything to make sure that these animals have the space that they need. But saying it like that really puts it into perspective because you can't see all the land. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something if anybody has ever got a chance to go backstage, like I remember when we went on our VIP tour, you can see so much of the backstage area behind the safari. And there really is so much that from the riot vehicles you cannot see. And it's also crazy how gigantic their like enclosures are where they have to take them in to look at them or maybe they sleep back there. I don't know. I did read that they don't actually sleep on um, the attraction area. They do actually go back into their little beds and they sleep there kind of like what we do with our dogs, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, in, but if you take the train back to Rafiki's Planet Watch, you can see the elephant enclosure. Mm -hmm. You can see cheetah. cheetah and I think you can see something for rhinos as well. Um, but it is just kind of. Crazy how gigantic that space is. And I'm glad that they were able to do that to give the animals as much room as possible. Mm -hmm. The last fun fact that I thought was kind of mind blowing also our good, well, I was going to say good friend, but we don't know him. Our favorite Imagineer, one of them, Joe Rohde, um, his idea at one point was to have like a bloody zebra carcass that was used as like a drinking hole for some of the carnivores and of course it was fake i guess he just thought it would make things look more realistic as people were driving by to see them like fake eating a zebra and of course that was also taken out after guests complained that they thought it was real <laughs> i mean i love it joe Rody's intense he doesn't that's pretty that's pretty intense can you imagine again? Can you imagine just like a little kid, our niece, just like driving by, you know, happy and then like being scarred by thinking that you're watching the lion eat a zebra? I mean, you kind of see that in Jungle Cruise, though. Yeah, but I guess it's more obviously fake in that scenario. Yeah, yeah. But I, don't know. I don't know. I just thought that was funny. That is so Joe Rody with all the interesting ideas. Yeah, this will not be the last time we talk about Joe Brady and his interesting ideas. Never. No. In this series. This is just the start. I think. So is that all that you had for history? Yeah, that's that's what I found. It really is. It's not necessarily an exercise in storytelling anymore, which is kind of the theme of this whole series that we're doing. But I think that it really hits home that Walt was so big on like the education and entertainment aspect of it. Mm -hmm. What was the word? Edutainment or something? Yeah. 
And I think this is just such a perfect example for what it can be if done correctly. I I probably agree with the 2012 change to take out Big Red and Little Red. I think we probably just hold on to that nostalgically more than anything that if you looked at them side by side, the current version conveys a better message and has a, a more lasting effect. Um, but yeah, I, I do think it's interesting that they did take very serious tones at the beginning to get the message across, which you don't get in too many other attractions. I agree. I, I do think that when they created the whole park, they wanted to be very conscious of that conservation mindset. And maybe because they knew that this would be such a big attraction, you know, the e-ticket attraction, that's why they kind of honed in on this so much. I'm definitely interested to see as we research more Animal Kingdom rides, if we kind of see the same trend, you know what I mean? In if the rides have evolved or their storytelling aspects and different things like that. Um, because that is something that I did find very interesting for this one. Yeah. I would agree with that. So you want to go through the scene breakdown? Yeah. Um, I, I should plug it again here, but I put the original pre-show that you would see as you were in the queue before you got on to symbol one at the very beginning of this episode. So hopefully you hopefully you enjoyed that. If that was a previous version of the ride that you wrote. But again, that kind of set that tone. Like this is serious. Mm-hmm. There are actual animal lives at stake. Like this is why we're here. This is why you're on this. Um, oh, the word just left me preserve. Yeah, because we are protecting the animals. It was. From the beginning, it was kind of pumped into the storyline without you even knowing it. And it's even if you kind of stop and if you like to take in little details and stuff, if you are walking around the Harambe village part of Africa and you stop and look at some of the different signs, it mentions a lot about poaching and there's a lot of different things in that part of it, too. And again, they did that very intentionally to set up the ride and kind of put that out there. Yeah. Yeah. So scene breakdowns after you see the really cool pre-show with the game warden, um, as you're about to get on to the ride vehicles, you are starting. Of course, it's just an extension of Harambe Village. So they mentioned that they're picking you up from Harambe Village and they also drop you off in Harambe Village. At the end, you board onto your safari truck, formerly known as Symbol One. I still call it Symbol One. It will always be Symbol One to us. Um, at where you're ge- greeted by your tour guide. Um, they do still kind of make a Jungle Cruise-esque joke, saying that you'll be gone for... Two weeks. Two weeks, which is interesting that that's still kind of part of it. Um, but the first scene that you come to is the Ukungu Forest. And that's where you can see Bongo, Okapi, and other like animals. Yes, all of those kind of forest type animals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Next, you go through a series of different watering holes that are actually following a river that is called, very original, Safari River. (laughs) I'm surprised it doesn't have a better name than that. I've never heard them mention that. No. Um... 
in those different watering holes, you can see hippos, you can see crocodiles, and you can see black rhinos. The hippos uh, are actually separated male and female. Interesting. So that's why you always see one bloat of hippos on one side and one bloat on the other side because they keep them separated. Rhinos, same thing. That particular, the black rhinos are individual or solo, whatever you would say it, creatures. So he or she just hangs out by themselves. That is very interesting. Once you leave the watering hole, after you see all those crocodiles, they don't have much space in the crocodile container. So I wonder how much space they actually need, but they're almost piled on top of each other sometimes. They must not need a lot of space then. I mean, they don't really move much. If you ever watch them, they don't really move much. Yeah. So after you leave the watering holes, that is where you enter the African savanna, which I never realized until reading about it. You're actually in the African savanna from that point forward. All the way through the end, that's still considered savanna territory. So, of course, there you can see different things as giraffes, Ancoli cattle, Thompson gazelle, wildebeest, African dogs, warthogs, cheetahs, ostriches, elephants, flamingos, and many, many more. But when you're first entering the safari or the savanna area, you do see a baobab tree. You don't want a spoiler. Skip ahead 15 seconds. The baobab tree, both of them are not real, unfortunately. They would not survive in Florida uh, environment so that both of the baobab trees that you see are made out of concrete. And I do think that's interesting because they always mention the baobab tree. That is always a point of conversation, I feel like, for the guides. I guess just because it is kind of like a staple feature of African savannas. You know, it's a very common tree in that area, which, you know, I guess that's why they always mention them. But I guess they're fake. I do think it is interesting that when you say savanna, typically you would just think of that first really open area where you can see the giraffes specifically. Um, the African wild dogs are over on your left. The Ancoli cattle are out there, the wildebeest, so on and so forth. But the, I, I don't know why the rest of it is still considered savanna when you do go back through some forest areas and and things like that. Like the cheetahs, I wouldn't consider that savanna, but technically it is. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not, I don't know. So most a lot of those animals are in kind of their own specific enclosures. Again, you can't really see them as much, but the warthogs are by themselves. The cheetahs are by themselves. Um, and there's other ones like that. It then opens back up a little bit. That's normally where you see the rest of the rhinos and the ostriches and things like that. So after you continue through the rest of the savanna, you pretty much ending with the elephants and the flamingos. They drop you back off into Harambe Village and you are left with... Quaharini. And Quaharini is told by the guides to say, go well, I think. It, may, it just means goodbye in Swahili. Although, don't they say, you know, they don't want to say goodbye? You know, it's kind of 
you know, again, like the fluffier way of saying it. Kind of like, is. see you again. See you next time. That's kind of my point that it's it's a little Disney-fied right there because mm-hmm. the direct translation from Swahili to English is just goodbye. Yeah. Maybe there's an implied, <laughs> like, goodbye, I will see you again. But, uh, yeah, who knows? I'm not too fluent in, in Swahili. I, I'd say we're not fluent at all. <laughs> so that's basically the scene breakdown, which... Is a really short breakdown for a 22 minute ride. But again, you're just kind of being guided through seeing the different enclosures, seeing the different areas. Um, and you really can't be too specific when talking about the scene breakdown because it is so different every time. You never know what you're going to see, how close the animals are going to get, what they're going to be doing, which again just contributes to why so many people love this ride. Correct. It almost always has a really long wait. Always, for sure. So let's take a quick break, hear a message from our partners, and then we'll be back to give our personal history and our Neverland score. Social media can be your best friend or worst enemy when trying to build out your brand. Unfortunately, we've been on both sides of that when trying to figure out how we can spread exposure for the podcast. Some days we love it. Some days we hate it. But luckily, tools like Tailwind help remove some of the stress involved with social media. We sit down on Sundays and we plan out what our posts are going to be for that week, how we're going to promote the episodes and what message we want to try to share within the community. Being able to do that ahead of time has removed so much of the stress where we just have to worry about engaging, taking in other users content, talking to people and doing things like that which is what we enjoy about the aspect of social media. So if that's something that you think you would benefit from, you can head to detourtoneverland.com forward slash tailwind. Again, that's detourtoneverland.com forward slash tailwind. That link is also in our show notes. And you there you can sign up for a completely free trial. You don't have to put in a credit card or anything. Test it out for Pinterest or Instagram and see if it's something that would help you and your routine or your brand. All right, we're back. As far as personal history and our connection with this ride, I feel like we've talked about it a lot. But for me, growing up, and even today as much as I can, this ride is a must-do. If I'm going to spend a whole day in Animal Kingdom, I'd say this is one of the rides I always try to get a fast pass for. And it's not necessarily because the line is terrible, But, I mean, everyone loves a good fast pass. Um, Personally, I enjoy the idea of always seeing something different. I love seeing all the animals and especially just that opportunity for up-close encounters. I think my favorite memories on this ride include getting to have some of those up-close encounters with the giraffes. We've been on there before where they have literally come like right up to the window, which is super cool. And also the rhinos, because they're one I feel like it can kind of be hit or miss with them. They can either be up walking around, which we don't see often, at least for me, I haven't seen it often, or they're just kind of laying there. And we did actually have to like stop and slow down because the rhinos were like crossing over the pathway before. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I would agree with that. That's kind of along the same notes as kind of my love for this attraction just the 
the excitement of not knowing what you will or will not see kind of gets you excited each time to be able to go on it. Other attractions in Disney, you know exactly what to expect, when to expect it, when the light is going to flash, you know, so on and so forth. With the Kilimanjaro safaris, you don't get that whatsoever. There mm-hmm. is the sequence of events of the different scenes that you go to, but as far as predicting what the animals will do, you can't do that. I think for me, it is it's some of the best people watching that you can do as well on this ride. Because especially someone, you know, seeing wearing a first visit button or a little kid or whatever it might be, even like grandparents, like get super excited on this ride. And that that kind of brings me joy to be able to see that and and see how different people are taking it in. And then you hope for that peculiar giraffic jam Mm -hmm. or rhino back up or whatever it might be or maybe the lion's gonna roar we've never seen that but we've seen it on video it's on my list i want to do a night ride we've never done it at night and i've never heard a lion roar those are my two bucket lists for this ride yeah but i just think all of that going together makes it just a personal favorite i know you hate it when i mention this but i have been on a safari in africa you're rolling your eyes at me of course and to me, it was surprising. I went on a reserve, not like a real out in the wild safari. I was on a reserve. To me, it was kind of shocking how similar they were, hmm. which made the one in safari a little bit of a letdown. Yeah. In Africa. I, I yeah, I understand. It made the one in Africa a little bit of a letdown. But I think it just shows how careful Disney was in putting this attraction together and trying to keep it as authentic as possible. Mm-hmm. So we'll start with you, Brendan. What is your Neverland score? So just to remind you, it's a number one through 10 and we are using kind of the elements of the ability to take you out of reality immersion, the story you're being told, the rewritability, um, emotional attachment effects, technology, all that kind of stuff. I give Kilimanjaro Safaris a nine. Can you tell us why? Well, I just think it effects and technology. I guess would be the one area that it takes away from mm-hmm. um, to a certain extent, but it's really you don't want effects or technology. That's true. on this attraction either. I think the big ones for me are the rewritability. It's probably the highest on Disney property. Of any, you almost hate calling this a ride because it's not. Yeah. I guess attraction is a better word, but even that doesn't seem like it does it justice. Rewritability is through the roof. The emotional attachment is through the roof. And just the education aspect of it is something you, you almost always learn something new that a tour guide is able to tell you. I agree. And I think now, even after doing our research, I also appreciate the story more so and I can more easily kind of make those connections between all the different elements of the ride I mean I do think what they're trying to do in the story and the impact is very much in your face I mean they don't try to hide that they are pro conservation and things like that but I do appreciate the story more now my score is also a nine very high again the effects and the technology kind of aren't there 
Not that I really think that's the most important part of a ride anyway, but I mean, I agree with everything that you said. So we're going to put together a master spreadsheet. I feel like we'll have all of our scores put into this. Um, So right now, Kilimanjaro, number one, Peter Pan's flight, number two for both of us. Yes. Next week, my attraction that I would like to dive into, which I think you might give the lowest score of the season so far, (laughs) is the Grand Fiesta Tour with the three Caballeros in the Mexico Pavilion in Epcot. All righty. That's an interesting one. I can get behind that. It's a 10. I'm going to spoiler alert. Okay. Right up there with Rise of the Resistance. Might be an 11 now. I don't know. We'll see. So, anything else you want to add on Kilimanjaro? Nope. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something new. I learned a lot of new things doing this research. I thought it was super interesting, and this is a ride that I love, and I'm excited to keep going. Yeah. If you know any interesting facts about Kilimanjaro that we missed, please head over to our Facebook page or our Instagram, share those with us, and we'll share them with everybody who listened as well. We still have our voicemail line. If you want to call into that and share anything or share an interesting story that you had from a safari, and we'd love to play those on air next week. So thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and we will talk to you next Monday. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Subscribe to the show and leave a review to help more people find us. Follow us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland underscore podcast to see our pictures from the parks. See you real soon.